All right, as we begin, I have a question for you. So, uh, how can I know God better? So, yeah, so you just imagine uh, if a young person, let's say a 10-year-old boy, uh, comes up to you and say, how can I know God better? How would you reply him? You think about it for a while. Uh, how would you reply him? How can I know God better? So, I think we've been, we've been taught that one way that we can know God better is to read the Bible. So you tell the boy, read the Bible. That's a good way. Okay? Read the Bible. Uh, another way you can think of is maybe someone will say, we uh, should pray. You can pray and then you will know God better. That is correct also. And then uh, another way is maybe you can attend church. Yes, you can know God better through that. Or you can attend small group. Yes, you can know God better through that as well, through the Christian fellowship. Um, well, all these are good ways, and all these are very good ways that we must do, uh, 2 Peter 1 offers us yet something else. Okay, he offers us yet something else, and we will see that in the course of this message. So this is the first of a four-part series. Uh, we are going through the book of 2 Peter. So uh, this, there'll be four weeks that we'll be doing that, and this being the first week, let's go into a little bit of background about 2 Peter. Uh, there are two letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. 1 Peter was written during a time of um, persecution, under violent persecution. So Peter was encouraging the church. Now this is the second letter. And here, Peter is nearing the end of his life. And there's so much that the church needs to know and remember, there are problems. There are problems in the church, you see. So this being his final letter, he wants to address some of these problems. So one of the problems is there are false teachers everywhere, causing division in the body of Christ. And another problem is people are questioning, when is Jesus coming back? It's been so long. Is Jesus coming back? When is he coming back? Is he even coming back? So people are questioning that. And then there are others who are twisting the Old Testament. They're twisting the Old Testament. They are twisting the letters of Paul. Okay, so the church needs to remember the scriptures and the words of the Old Testament prophets and the words of Jesus uh, uh, that the apostles have passed on. And so Peter, before he gives up his life, before he ends, before his life ends, he writes a letter, one last letter. And this is uh, 2 Peter we will be going through uh, the first 11 verses of 2 Peter 1. And this is how we break it down. We'll do, um, we'll do it in three parts. So we won't read the, the 11 verses all at one shot because it's a bit too much. We'll read it uh, part by part and we'll go through it. Okay? So the first part that we're going to talk about today is the gift of our faith. The gift of our faith. Okay, so let me read that to you. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, so we read this uh, first four verses. What is it talking about? It is absolutely key that we understand 
what this is saying because it is a chunk, right? So let's, let's break it down, okay? Let's break it down. Uh, let's go through it slowly, okay? Let's go through it slowly. So the first part says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ. So he's writing, he's saying that, that this letter is written to all these people who are in the same faith. So these are, this is a letter written to the brothers. We are all in the same faith and he writes this letter to them. Okay? And then in the second part he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And right here in verse 2, he begins his point already. Right here we see something, the knowledge of God. Right here in verse 2, he begins by giving a wonderful greeting that already tells us of the importance of the knowledge of God. And he says this, notice his greeting, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. How is grace and peace multiplied in our lives? Through the knowledge of God, through knowing God. The knowledge of God means that knowing God. So the great grace and peace is multiplied in our lives right out front here, he says it, through the knowledge of God. That by knowing God, we have grace and peace multiplied in our lives. Then he goes on to verse 3. Okay, verse 3 and verse 4 is like a chunk, right? You read verse 3, verse 4, sometimes it can get quite confusing because you read it, what's he talking about? His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And then, uh, okay, so we break it up like this. You break it up. Verse 3 is the main thing. Verse 4 explains verse 3. That's how you're going to see it, all right? So let's, let's, let's read that through. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So what Peter is saying is that God has granted to us all things pertaining to life, to this life that we're living, and godliness. These include His precious and great promises as well. All these things He has granted to us. Okay? These are, uh, this is the gift that He has given to us. Through His divine power, He has given us all these things. There's a gift by which He has given to us um, everything you need to live this life, everything you need to be godly. This is a gift. So let's say, okay, let's say, let's say this is the gift. All right? In this box are all these good things. All these good things are placed in this box and this, in this box you will find uh, all things you need for life, godliness, His precious and great promises, all inside this box. Alright, so you will find all within this box, this is a gift given to us by His divine power. So we understand that everything for life and godliness, all the promises of God, everything given to us in this box. Now, he gives it to us, but there's more. We need access to the box. So, you need a key. And the key grants you access. This key is the knowledge of Him. Through the knowledge of Him, we now have access to all these things. The great and precious promises of God, the godliness, everything we need for life, it's all in there. Through the knowledge of Him. Through knowing God, we now get these things. Through knowing God, we get all these wonderful promises. 
Okay? So that's how we understand this. That's how we understand this verse. So how do we become godly? How do we partake in the precious and great promises? How do we escape the corruption of sin? All these is given. How do we come? How, what do we need for life? All these is through the knowledge of Him. All given us through the knowledge of Him. And this knowledge, this knowledge of Him, this word is epignosis. Right? So the word knowledge, it means a first-hand knowledge. It means a personal knowledge. It means it's not a knowledge that, that you get through reading books, but a knowledge that you experience personally. It is a personal, relational, experiential, first-hand knowledge. That is epignosis. Okay? And, and this, this... Okay, the, the Net Bible translates this as rich knowledge. International Standard Bible translates this as full knowledge. And the Amplified Bible translates this as true and personal knowledge. So you get the idea. You get the idea. You understand now that it is to really know God personally. This is the knowledge of Him. And so God has granted to us a gift of very precious and great promises, a gift given by His divine power that rescues us from the corruption of the world, that gives us godliness, gives us life, all through knowing Him. We are reminded here that it is through His divine power for His people that we are given these precious and great promises, that we are given all things we need for life and godliness. We are reminded here that it is through His divine power. It is His gift. It is not we have received this faith because we have read the Bible many times, because we have fasted hard, because we have served a lot. No, it is not. We have this faith because it was given to us as a gift. It's a gift. He has given to us this gift. And this gift is not just a ticket to heaven. It's not just a promise that when you die, you will live on a new body. And that's a fantastic promise. Fantastic promise. But that's not all. There's also a promise here that the Lord will change us now and He will offer us a different nature. You see, there is an old sinful nature, the old nature, sin in us, that natural man that is prideful, that is self-seeking, that leads to death. This is the path of death. So not only does God rescue us from the path of death, He sets us on a new path and begins a work in us. He begins changing us from within. So as we read this uh, passage, um, as you read this passage, some of us may have some questions. Like for, for example, how does knowing God, right? See, uh, when I know God, suddenly I have access to all these things. How? How does it work out? How come when I know God, I can become godly? How come I know God, I have all these things for life? How come? So we ask that question and let's move on to the second part. How does it work out? Okay, so how does it work out? Okay, so, so the first part, we understand that it is a gift. Our faith is a gift by His divine power. The second part is the effort of our faith. So we want to find out how does it work? How does it work? All right, so 2 Peter 1, 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So he says, for this 
Very reason. So for the very reason, for the reason that you are given these things, for the very reason that you are now having all these wonderful promises, for the very reason that you now know God, we must add these things to our faith. We must add virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So let me explain these things, okay? These are the seven things that Peter exalts us that now that you know God, you must add this to your faith. So, number one, virtue. So virtue here means moral excellence. It means goodness. It means, it means to be morally good. So when we think of times where we strive to be morally good, you think of, of virtue. So that's what it means, that you must be a good person. When no one's around, when no one's looking, will you still be good? Do you have that moral goodness in you that governs you that I want to be good? I want to be obedient. I want to be a law-abiding. I want to be good. So that's moral excellence, virtue, right? The first one. Now the next one is knowledge. This knowledge is not epignosis. It's not like the knowledge of Him. This knowledge is gnosis. It is, um, it is quite similar. It's also a personal knowledge. It is also that. But it's not the same, to the same degree. So I would say that it is similar, but not as intense as epignosis, which is the knowledge of Him, which makes sense, right? Because this knowledge is, uh, in some ways, can be understood as uh, discernment, insight, understanding. First uh, Corinthians 12, 8, translate this as word of knowledge. It's used here as word of knowledge, gnosis. And uh, Ephesians three nineteen says, uh, to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, which surpasses gnosis. So this is what it's talking about here. But it also means to understand God personally to spend time with Him. And therefore, we are encouraged to add knowledge to our faith. We must add knowledge. We must strive to add knowledge to our faith. That's why we come for, for, for Bible studies. That's why we read the Word. That's why we hear testimonies. That's why we come for service, to add this knowledge to our faith, to experience Him. It's also a personal experience. All right? So this is knowledge. Now, the next one is self-control. So self-control here uh, refers to mastery, uh, from mastery that comes from within ourselves, but not by ourselves. So that's what it means. It means, the root word means that it comes from within ourselves. That means like you are controlling yourself, but not by yourself. So for the believer, what it refers to is you don't will yourself not to do it, but you allow the Holy Spirit to enable you not to do it. That's what it says. All right? So this is self control. This is uh, mastery so that we don't, this refraining yourself from excesses, from lust, this to hold yourself with the power of the Holy Spirit. Alright, so this is within oneself, but not by oneself, by His power, by the Spirit. Now the next one is uh, steadfastness. So steadfastness refers to a patient enduring. So when you go through a trial, a difficult season in your life. You're praying for something. You want something to happen and it doesn't happen. So you're going through a trial. So this is what you are encouraged to do, to be steadfast, to be faithful, to hold on, don't give up. And so Peter says, add this to your faith. Add, steadfast, add steadfastness to your faith. Don't be one that gives up easily, that relinquishes easily, but hold fast, 
steadfast, persevere, okay? Be patient and endure till the end. That's what he's saying here, right? Now, the next one is godliness. So what is godliness? Godliness can be uh, defined as piety or devotion to God. So can we be more devoted to God? Can we be more pious and more uh, committed, more devoted towards Jesus? What it means here is sometimes when out of that devotion, there's a price you will pay. Because of our devotion to God, there will be things that you can do, there will be things that you cannot do. I'll give you an example. At this time, um, the Christians that received this letter, some of them are in places where there's a marketplace. And to enter the marketplace to buy and sell, you need to take incense and offer to Caesar. Because Caesar is God. And when you offer incense, you're proclaiming that, that deity. And so if you were to be pious and devoted to God and godly, it means you cannot do that act. When you cannot do that act, you can no longer participate in that marketplace. It means a lot to add godliness to our faith. There will be some things that you can do, some things that you cannot do when you add godliness to your faith. When you choose to be godly, when you choose to devote yourself to God. And here, Peter encourages us, strive to add godliness to your faith. The next one is brotherly affection, which is love for one another, which is love within the body, that we go out of the way to love each other, that we go out of the way to spend ourselves so that others within the Christian community, you're within your cell group, you're your brothers and sisters, they'll be blessed to reach out to them, to bless them, brotherly love. Okay. Then the next and last one is love which is agape, which talks about the love of God, which he says, strive to add this kind of love to you, to your faith. Strive to add this kind of agape to your faith. And this is the kind of love that, that, you know, when Jesus was on the cross and they were crucifying him and he was telling the Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the extent of the kind of love, the extent of the love. And Peter says, add this to your faith. Take this kind of love, this quality and add it to your faith. So for the very reason that you now know God, for the very reason that you now have all these things, add this to your faith and make every effort to do so. Peter tells us to make every effort, add this to our faith. Every effort, notice the word, not just a cursory now and then, but make every effort at every opportunity. I'm going to tell you a true story. Story of uh, two firefighters who was waiting in line at a fast food restaurant and their fire truck was parked just outside the restaurant and their siren sounded, the alarm sounded. Okay, they needed to go and they had not gotten their food yet. So as they were turning to leave to respond to the call, a couple in front of them who had just received their order handed these firefighters their food and then they rejoined the line to reorder again. Now the manager saw this. So doubling down on their selfless act, the manager then refused to take their money. You see, this is an example of being always ready. No time to think, no time to react. It's coming out of you. You're always ready to love. You're always ready to, to extend love at every opportunity, making every effort. Okay, so as we read this, some of us may ask this question. 
now that we have to add these seven things to our faith, right? We are told to add these things to our faith. Now, even if I don't add these things to our faith, is it so bad? After all, I've been already given all these things, right? All these have been given to me through the knowledge of Him. I know God, right? I know God. So if I know God, He says that He'll give me godliness. He says He'll give me uh, everything I need for life. All His precious and great promises are inside. I have it all. So it's like thinking that, oh, we have the main dish. I have the T-bone. I have the prime rib. I've got the main dish. Why work so hard to add in all these side dishes? You know, all this uh, goodness, all this virtue. All, all these are just side dishes. Why must I do that? Why must I do that? Okay, so, so a command like 2 Peter 1.5 may be met with a carelessness on our attitude. In applying it, we may say that this is optional teaching. Why must we strive so hard to add this to our faith if it's already given to me as a gift? So, we will answer that in our next part. So, the first part, we went through the gift of our faith, the effort of our faith, and why must we make all that effort? The confirmation of our faith. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Actually, the answer is here already. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So we do see some answers here already. So why must I strive for all these things, to add all these things to my faith when it's already given to me? Why must I strive for all these things? So it's already here in this answer. For if these qualities are yours and increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective in knowing God. So that means if we do not add this to our faith, we become unfruitful and ineffective. In fact, it's so unfruitful and ineffective that it says in verse 9 that whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. It's so unfruitful to the extent that he's blind, having forgotten he was cleansed from his past sins. So if I truly want to know God, I need to add this to my faith? Yes, absolutely. Not only will you know God more, you will confirm your election. And he says that. That means if you strive to add this to your faith, you will not only know God more, you will confirm your faith. You will confirm that you're of God. You confirm that you have God working in you because all those who are in the faith will desire and strive for these things to know God. Now, you may be saying that, but... It's a gift, right? Then now, if you're saying that I need to strive for all these things, then isn't it works? So I have to work for my election. I have to earn my election. Now you see, uh, look at the verse. Uh, what does it say? It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to earn your election, earn your calling. No. It says, confirm your calling. Confirm your calling. Not 
earn your calling. It means that you will be proven to be in the faith. You will be proven that this is who you are. I'll give you an example. Let's say I were to do an experiment. Okay? I walk along the street, and I've got two $50 notes in my pocket. I take out the first $50 note, and I notice a guy behind me. I purposely drop it on the road. And the guy sees me drop the $50 note. He picks up the money. He puts it in the pocket. He doesn't return to me. He walks away. I lost my first $50. Second time, I take out the next $50 that I have. I wait for a guy to come. He sees me. I drop it. And what does he do? He picks out the $50 and returns it to me. You see, the first person didn't return to me, but this person picks it up and returns it to me. The act of returning to me confirms he is an honest person. The act reveals what is inside, which is honesty. The act did not cause him to become more honest. It did not earn him honesty, but it confirmed that he is honest because he's already honest inside. That's why he did it. That act only confirmed that he's an honest man because he is an honest man. So you can drop it the next time and it will happen again because he is an honest man. So when we strive to add this to our faith, we are confirming that we are of the faith because it is who we are. And so we regard this question, why must I strive to know God if all this is really given to me? Well, those who are in the faith, confirmed in the faith, who are like this, will not even think this way. They won't even think this way because inherent in our nature, in what we are, we want to truly know God. We will seek to know God. Okay, so what does it mean to know God? So you see, to know God is not merely to know the things about Him. To know God is not just to know that He exists, although these are important. But to truly know God is to share in His nature and to add these things to our faith. That's how we truly know God. And as we make every effort to add brotherly affection, add perseverance, add virtue, add love to our faith, we grow to become more and more like Him. And that's how we come to truly know Him, when we are like Him. If we only read the Bible, only attend worship service, only listen to sermons, that's fantastic. But have you considered what about all the other areas? What about all these other areas? You have gained good knowledge about God and that's good. But what about all these other areas that we are told to make every effort to add to our faith? And Peter says, make every effort to add this to your faith. And if we have them in increasing measure, in other words, in more and more, if we have them in increasing measure, uh, another way to say it is abounding in them. That means more and more. More and more love, more and more self-control, more and more brotherly affection, more and more abounding in them, then we become fruitful and effective in knowing God. He's not saying that you should now have the occasional self-control. He's not saying that, oh, now you have self-control, but other times you can scope people all you want. He's not saying that. He's not saying occasionally love your brother. Now and then, do a kind deed. No, he's not saying that. Now and then, show love. Here and there, when you are free, do it. He's not saying that. He's saying that you must abound in these qualities so that when people look at us, do they look at us and say that, hey, uh, I think he is more ineffective, more unfruitful. Or do they see that this, this person, we are abounding in love more and more, abounding 
in love, in perseverance, in goodness, in brotherly affection. And here Peter is telling us we cannot drift along. You can't just drift along and then, and then we're given these things for life and godliness through this key, through knowing Him. We only become effective in knowing Him, not by attending church, not by listening to sermons per se alone, but by making every effort to add these things to our faith. There must be a striving to add these things to our faith. There must be a striving to love. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. No one will see the Lord. We cannot think that we will just drift along and our no God better. It won't work. We must strive and be deliberate in adding these things to our faith. How often were you accidentally loving? Like, accidentally loving, you know? Or you were, by accident, you were good. Or, or by accident, you had self-control. Or you never intended it to be. You just uh, decide to go to your room, brush your teeth, and sleep. And next morning, why wow, your family feels so loved by you. It doesn't happen, right? No such thing. We sometimes think that we've got no opportunity to show love. Or we take a back seat and say that, oh, if these things come, an opportunity come down and show, la, don't have, don't have. La. It's a saying that, um, you know Yakult the drink? The, 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 you know, the Yakult drink? It's like, it's like walking past, you know, the, the, the hours at NTUC or cold storage, and you see all the Yakult over there, and then you say, I'm a supporter of Yakult. No, but I won't buy. You know. I only wait for the person to come to my house that I buy. You know. It's a saying, these are things, it's very passive. It's like saying you're a strong supporter, but yet you won't go out of the way. It doesn't make sense. So people who strive to make every effort go out of the way to show brotherly affection. They go out. They don't just wait there and see. They seek out the hurting. They volunteer when people call for help. They go out of their way and they strive to add this to our faith. Because as we strive to add this to our faith, as we make every effort to add this to our faith, we then come to truly know God. We then come to develop the divine nature, to participate in His divine nature, to become like Him, to know Him as we strive, to add these things to our faith. And that is why the Lord has opened the door for us. You see, He could have just saved us, give us a ticket to heaven and that's it. But He goes beyond that. He invites us into His world, opens the door for us and says, partake of my divine nature, come and be like me and know me. You see, when we, when we begin to share this nature with Him, when we become like Him, we come to know Him. Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ. You see, Paul, he got it right here. He totally understands this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. You see, the Apostle Paul knew that to know God more is more than just knowing about Him or reading about Him. It's getting into His world, to participate in His world. And then we will know Him to know His power, participate in suffering, participate in the divine nature, then we will truly know Him. So church, if you truly want to know God, add this to your faith.
and it's not easy. I recognize sometimes it's really not easy. And there's a price to pay. There's things you can do, there are things you cannot do. Sometimes you want to strive to love, but sometimes it's so hard to love. And that's why Peter exhorts us, strive, keep at it. Because as you do it, as you do it, you develop, you develop that divine nature in you to become more and more like God. And then as you do that, you come to experience Him, to know Him deeper and deeper. Let me share with you a closing story. Krabi Ten Boon, this is an account um, of one of her trips when she went around. Now, she was a survivor from the concentration camps. So uh, her family and herself were hiding jewels in their home. And because of that, they were discovered, they were captured and sent to concentration camps. And in the concentration camps, her family members died. It's very cruel in the camps. And her family member died in the camp. Eventually, she was released. And then she went around uh, uh, various places, various churches to do ministry, to share of her experience and God's love. Okay, so this is, this is an account of one of the times where she was in one of the churches. So on one occasion, in 1947, she was speaking in a church in Munich when she noticed there was a man in a grey overcoat at the rear of the basement, at the back, okay, where she was preaching. And she had been preaching on the subject of God's love and forgiveness. And as the man was walking down, she recognised the man and her heart froze. She remembered him because she has seen him so many times in his blue Nazi uniform with his visored cap. The cruelest of the guards at a Ravensburg camp where she has suffered the most horrible punishments. And in fact, that was the camp where her own sister had died. And here he was, this Nazi oppressor. Here he was at the end of a talk, coming up from the aisle towards her, with his hand thrusted out and says, thank you for your fine message, he said. How wonderful it is to know that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. How do you respond? Yes, Corey has said that. She has spoken so easily of God's forgiveness and love. But here was a man whom she had despised with every fibre of her being, And could she hold his hand? Could she take his hand? She couldn't extend forgiveness to this Nazi. She realized that this man didn't remember her, obviously, because, you know, she was one in a thousand prisoners. And this man shared with her. You mentioned Ravensburg. The man continued with his hand extended. And he shared, I was a guard there. And I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. It's been hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did, but I know God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips too that God has forgiven me. And Corey recorded her response in her book, The Hiding Place. And she wrote, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out to me, but it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had to do in my life. But I knew 
I had to do it. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And as I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, and so woodenly, mechanically, I trusted my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. A current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joint hands. And then this heating warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. And I cried, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And for a long moment, we held each other's hand, the former guard and the former prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Church, this is how we know God more. When we participate in His love, when we extend that hand of forgiveness, of brotherly affection, of love, the kind of love that the God will show us, has shown us on the cross. Church, if you want to know God more today, if you want to truly know Him more, then be like Him and strive to love. Strive to love. I'm going to invite us now to close our eyes and bow our heads. In the course of this message, the Lord is speaking to you and telling you, my son, my daughter, don't be passive in your faith anymore. Don't sit there and wait and drift along. But would you strive to add this to your faith because I have given all these things to you? Because I love you. Would you now add these things to your faith? Then we will truly come to know Him. I'm going to give you a moment to transact with the Lord. Allow the Lord to speak to you. Tell the Lord, I want to strive to add these to my faith. I want to strive to love. I don't want to be passive anymore. Help me, God. Help me. And as you do that, as you do that, He will help you. He will enable you. He will empower you. I give you a moment. Some of us who are struggling to love, those who are very difficult to love, ask the Lord to give you that strength to love. For those who have been passive, tell God, I don't want to be passive anymore. I want to make a difference today. Help me, God. Perhaps there are some of us in the course of this message who want to know God, but you have never been given the chance to know God. And so if you have not prayed to receive Jesus, as your Lord and Saviour before, I'm going to give you an opportunity now. And this will begin your journey in truly knowing God. 
if you have never prayed this prayer before, if you want to become a Christian, if you want to believe in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour and start to know God, then pray this prayer with me. You just have to pray it under your breath, pray it softly, but pray meaning every word. Pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned against you. I'm so sorry for the things I've done wrong to others and to you. Please forgive me. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I now turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. In Jesus' name, Amen. For the rest of us, I'm going to pray for us now. If you want to strive to love, you don't want to be passive anymore because in doing so, you will come to truly know Him. Then open your hearts now as I pray for us. Dear Lord, thank you, Lord, that you've opened the way for us. That you've given us all these things for life and for godliness. And because you've given all these things, because we are saved, because we know you, help us now to become more like you. Help us to add these things to our faith day by day, to strive to abound in love, to abound in these things, so that we can become more and more like you. For those of us who are finding it difficult to love because we are in a very difficult situation, Lord, we pray that your grace and your peace will be multiplied in my brothers' and sisters' life. Your grace and peace will be multiplied in our lives so that we can love, we can extend your love in this situation. We pray, Lord, for those of us who don't want to be passive anymore. Lead us this week and help us as we continue to strive to extend your love, to love like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.